We as a nation have done too much evil. God's going to judge us. At least I'm a Christian. At least I'll be raptured out of here before things get really bad. Let me ask you, dear listener, are God's judgments never averted? Does God never change his mind? Are we locked into some fatalistic decree? Does God give us tools to move his arm? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. But if you've missed our radio program and you want to hear ones that you've missed, excuse me, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Um, and so we're on like, I think, nine different platforms. You should be able to find it somewhere, the, the major ones, obviously. And then there's some not so major ones where we are. And then you can find those podcasts uploaded in video format at YouTube and Gab TV at 9 a.m. every Sunday there as well. And you will find other content besides radio programs uh, as things come up. Um, you can find us also on different social media outlets, Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and obviously, like I said, YouTube. Go to godsresistance.com. That's our central hub that'll connect you to everything. And uh, you can sign up for our newsletter there. You can spell God's Resistance, G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. And if you go to any of those social media platforms, video platforms, make sure that you like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. That will help us to reach more people. And you are going to find us in the spring again in person every Sunday uh, out on the public square. And probably in the spring, we'll start it at 11 in the morning. Uh, but we're taking a little break through the winter time. Uh, but we are gathering inside people's homes. If that's something you're interested in, then we want you to give us a call uh, or contact us. First, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 570-362-7782. That number also receives texts. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We're looking this morning, we're taking uh, just a break from the uh, series on holiness that we have been doing, and we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel, <clears throat> 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 through 23. So I'm just going to get started right away and read. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. 
Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Quite a scripture account there. And I just want to bring in this idea of acceptance here. Things happen to us, right? We're living in this world. Good things happen to us. Bad things happen to us so far as we judge them. And thinking specifically about those hard things that happen to us, like somebody dies, right? A loved one dies. Maybe we've lost our job. Our health is failing. Or, or maybe we're in a mediocre job. Or we've been denied a position, uh, a promotion, or a raise. Uh, maybe we started a business venture and that's failed. Or maybe we're trying to minister for the Lord in ministry opportunity. It's just vanished. It's gone. And acceptance is not always an easy thing. Trying to just take things as they are. And we may think, well, we've got to get up and fight. Or or there's the other spectrum of things where people just accept everything that happens. and, And maybe they say, I don't know why the Lord has done this to me. Or I don't know why the Lord has allowed this to me. You know, but we also have to think that there's personal responsibility in these matters. For instance, health. I don't know why the Lord has done this to me or why this has happened to me. Could it be that you take poor care of yourself health-wise and it's not really the Lord's fault? Maybe you're under bankruptcy or foreclosure of your house or maybe your car's been repoed and you say, I don't know why the Lord has done this to me. It could be that you are a poor manager of your finances. Maybe if there's relationship trouble, And maybe you're going through a divorce and you say, I don't know why the Lord has allowed this to happen or why the Lord has done this to me. It could be because of your selfishness in the relationship. Not living for God can be the cause of a host of problems that would otherwise not be if you had repented and lived according to God's ways. And that doesn't mean, however, that the Christian life is always just free from trouble. But sometimes... So, so we've got those things where we can look at it and maybe it's my personal responsibility and it's not God that's done it. So we have to, we have to stop for a moment and take a look at that. But sometimes things do happen completely outside of our control. And then these questions come up. Is this always God's will or fate? When things happen outside of my control, is this, is this just the way it is? This is what God wants and desires for me. And if not, how do I know? How do I know if this is God's will or how do I know if I should fight against it? Another question is, is God's will always arbitrary or is there some kind of purpose behind it? Those are the things that we're looking at. And I want to ask this overarching question as we, we go through the scripture verse, the, the scripture section we read and the, the concepts and ideas there. Is God sovereignly fatalistic or fatalistically sovereign? That's the question that we're going through. So I want to deal with a couple things here. First, the cause of things that are happening or that have happened or that might happen, the effect of those things, the response um, to those things, and then hoping to just kind of wrap that up with um, some thoughts again to bring that the, the what I believe the character of God is and what the scripture teaches out to the forefront so that you and I can intelligently serve him in the midst of some of these trying and difficult times. So let's deal first with the cause. 
Here we read our scripture section in um, 2 Samuel, 12th chapter. David sinned. He sinned against God first, he says. He sins against Bathsheba, ends up committing adultery with Uriah. Uh, He's a soldier in David's army. Uriah is married to Bathsheba. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. Um, And then when Uriah will not go and lay with his wife to try and cover up the possibility of her pregnancy, um, he he calls Uriah back from, from the military campaign and says, you know, go and lay with your wife. He says, how can I do that when the other guys are out there fighting? I can't do that. And so he sleeps outside. I'm not going to do it. So then David says to his uh, lead captain there, and he says, you put him in the front line and get him killed. So not only did, was the sin of adultery there, but then when he tried to hide and cover it up one way, it led to an even more heinous thing where he murdered somebody and took someone's life, or at least he ordered that to happen. David said unto Nathan, after all this has been found out, and Nathan gives him a a parable that helps David to bring the true judgment or feelings of his heart out against a situation that was quite similar to what David had done with Bathsheba and and Uriah. David, after he is rebuked of Nathan, he confesses his sins. He repents right there in front of Nathan. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So David did repent and he asked for forgiveness for something that was his fault. He did that. So that leads us to the question of the cause of troubles in our lives. It can be our personal responsibility. In this case, it was David's personal sin. And you know, in our case, it can be the same thing, personal sin. You know, something is wrong and you do it anyways, or you know that you ought to do something and you leave it undone. There's other examples of this inside of the scriptures. We think of Saul who in the beginning uh, started off as a humble king and a servant to the the people of God. He was little in his own eyes, the Bible says. But then Saul didn't listen to God, started to take matters into his own hands. And God said that he rent the kingdom from Saul and is going to give it to somebody else because of Saul's disobedience. And instead of Saul's having a true repentance at that point, he's like, oh man, this doesn't look good for me and it doesn't look good for me in front of all these people. Can you just kind of say a little something so it looks like I'm reinstated back to God? There was no true repentant heart in Saul. And so God takes the kingdom away from Saul. The blessings that he meant to give to Saul, he took away because of Saul's sin. And from that point, Saul had a very turbulent life. He was so jealous all the time, he tried to kill his own child. He, he killed some people that he thought were conspiring against him that really weren't. He didn't even do due process to figure out whether or not these things were true. He hunted David like David was a dog. And um, he, he tried to kill David several times. And then at the end of his life, he, he's found talking to a witch, somebody who, who could look into, the, into where dead spirits are or something and bring up a dead spirit. So this is what Saul's life ends up being because he sinned. Saul could have said, oh, why is God doing this to me? But if he stopped for a moment, he realized this is my fault. Ananias and Sapphira, we find in the New Testament, and maybe I'll, well, I'll go there because I already did. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they are the couple that you read about right in the beginning of the book of Acts that they were seeing that people were giving all their goods to the apostles so that you know they could be, I don't know, a part of that, that great number of people. And instead of really having the heart of all those people, they just pretended everyone was giving all their possessions. They held back part of the price, but made it look like they were giving all their possessions. And Peter says, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And there was death for their lying to the spirit of God. Judas, he betrayed Jesus into the hands of of Jesus' enemies. 
And instead of repentance, he saw what he did and what the effects were and he went out and hung himself. He killed himself. So there's personal responsibility that you and I have. We can't just blame everything on God. We find here some examples of that. And obviously in the main part of our uh, scripture um, portion there is David. Sometimes we make poor choices and they're not necessarily uh, of a moral quality, so to speak. They're just not great choices. Um, so like you are, maybe you're eating the best diet that you know how to, but it's still not a great diet and your, your health is going downhill because of it. There could be a whole host of things we're doing in life that we're trying to do the best that we know how, but it's really not that great. And we end up paying consequence for some of those choices because every choice has a reaction or has a consequence. But then there's just choices in general and whether or not they're good or bad, besides the point, and I'm, I'm speaking, I guess, specifically about we make choices and we, we weigh out perhaps the consequences and we still think the choice is valuable and we make it anyways. So then I think about in the Bible, John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Herod with his brother's wife and John the Baptist says, that's wrong. You shouldn't be with your brother's wife. wife excuse me. And so then John the Baptist gets thrown into prison and eventually beheaded because he spoke up and he spoke against sin that was going on in royalty nonetheless. But then there's all, so those are one's decisions about personal responsibility. Some is sin, some poor choices, some are just choices in general. But what about those times where it's not caused by my personal choice? One huge example I can think of in the, in the scripture is Job. Job, as far as we know, there was no, there's no reason why this should all happen. We do know the reason uh, from God's viewpoint. Was God's will arbitrary here that he just, you know, arbitrarily chose that Job should be sick? I think when you look at the exchange between God and, and the devil, you, you find that it was to prove to all people, uh, to everyone, that people love God and can love God for who he is and not for what he gives. Because what Satan said was, if you just take away all the blessings that Job has, then he'll curse you to your face. And God says, well, go ahead and try it, test it. And he allows those things to happen. Did Job, however, in the midst of all those trials and difficulties, did he just accept his circumstances meekly as the will of God? Well, this is the will of God and I'll suffer it patiently. No, Job had constant questions. He was pleading his innocence over and over again. He said, I don't know why this is happening to me. I haven't sinned. Why are you doing this, God? You're treating me like an enemy. He voiced strong confusion. What in the world is happening? And he was seeking for answers. He happened to have a bunch of friends around him that weren't very good company. He said they were miserable comforters, which they were. But here's something completely out of Job's control. Why did it happen? You know, um, do I just meekly lay down and let these things happen? So we're looking at this from a biblical perspective, but take this and apply it to where you are. You may be having something of this happening in your life. And when we come back from the break, we'll dig into that a little better. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So we talked about the cause of troubles and problems. 
What about the effect? In our scripture portion we read, look through verses 14, uh, 14 through 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he says, how be it, because by this deed, this is Nathan speaking to David, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife uh, bare unto David and it was very sick. So here is the death of a child because of David's choices, because of his sins. The question though is, will God always do this? Is he always going to make some extreme case of judgment pop up because of our sins or our ills? And I would have to say, no, it's not always the case. God is a person and he's not locked into strict justice as some would teach because every sin must be punished. And I understand that ultimately at the end, every sin will be punished, but God is a person. And he doesn't have that strict justice like the law of the Medo-Persians where once something left the king's mouth, it could not be undone. God is a person who changes his mind in response to us as people. And we're told that David's actions caused shame to the Lord. And the effect of his actions was there was a vindication of the Lord's name because David being a king doing such folly and making God's name come down into the dust in the eyes of the heathen around, God chose to allow this thing to happen, this child to die. And you may think that's so cruel and hard. Well, God's ways are, are not just for the, our immediate situation, but for a picture that is so much larger than the narrow focus that we have. And that's, I'm not even saying that that's easy to grasp or understand, but I just want you to understand the character and heart of God. He's not just randomly doing things. There's not arbitrary, you know, just striking people dead and doing things over here there there's reasons behind all things that sometimes we may not understand and sometimes it's not easy to accept and i'm saying that now i don't know what'll happen but lord help us give us grace give us perspective when our perspective is off but everything that we do has a consequence okay there was a consequence here with david i remember hearing a um, an account of general booth going into um the mafia uh, inside of London somewhere that even the police were afraid to go in, but he marched in there with a bunch of people, started calling for the mafia boss to come out and preaching the gospel to him. They're getting beaten with chains and bars. And yet he continued to preach with tears pouring down his eyes about the judgment these men would face. Eventually, the mafia boss falls to his knees, repents, and the, and the mafia's men fall to their knees and they repent. The issue that happened was, first of all, they had murdered people And they were arrested. They turned themselves in, I think some of them. And there's capital punishment that came their way for the crimes that they had committed. So there's a consequence for their action. However, they still had the testimony, even through capital punishment, that they were saved and ready for heaven because God had forgiven them, even though they had to face the consequence for something they've done. Think about the 30-year alcoholic that may die younger than otherwise they would have though perhaps this person really repented and was saved and they're living a holy life, still they, they may reap the consequences for 30 years of alcoholism because their liver has been destroyed. Does that mean God always leaves it that way? Sometimes God miraculously changes that. Maybe you had a child out of wedlock. You're a single mother. Now there's a broken home because of having the child out of wedlock. There's custody battles. There's arguments. The kids are in the middle of it. These consequences are not always fixed when you repent. And when you're born again, there's still consequences. God sometimes miraculously does change them, but it may not always happen. And we can't just look up and say, God did this. Why did he allow it? Sometimes it's us. We have, uh, I said this before, but unhealthy living and eating. 
Well, it results in disease and chronic medical troubles. The, the choices we make have consequences. David cho David's choice had a consequence. Think about it nationally. Our nation has legalized at large abortion, killing innocent children, even up to the point of just before they're birthed, gay marriage, two men marrying each other, two women marrying each other, the LGBTQ uh, community and the gender confusion that's now being thrust upon children inside of their lust, which we find in Hollywood and ultimately in pornography and then the sex trafficking industry. Idolatry. We think about sports idols. We think about the idol of money, of fame, and of self. And this is all what we've done as a nation. God will judge us, people say. And God may judge us. We read that in the scriptures. Those judgments come. Sometimes warnings come too because of judgment. God will judge us. America's toast. Let's just fold up and wait for him to do it. But is that really how things should be? I'm thinking about our scripture portion here. Look at David. Is that how David reacted? Which leads us to how do we respond or what are responses then to some awful circumstances that come in life? Even if sometimes they may be our own fault, what is the response? Do we just lay down and meekly take it? Is God fatalistically sovereign is the question. Does this mean that we do not seek God to undo the consequences of choices we've made or even problems? Let me ask you this question. If, if God is so fatalistically sovereign, doesn't that fly in the face of the whole message of the gospel, which is reconciliation, restoration, and redemption? If it's impossible for God to undo wrongs that we've done, if it's impossible for God to change his mind when he perhaps wanted to lay judgment on somebody, then what is what comes of the entire gospel message where God writes the wrongs, where God gives us new life? Personal testimony of mine, before I was saved, I racked up credit card debt. I had student loan debt. My wife had student loan debt. We had loads of money. And I remember reading in Nehemiah after he said he didn't want the king's meat anymore and God took care of it. It so struck my heart and I prayed and said, Lord, I got myself into this mess. I borrowed all this money. I did all this and I wasn't living for you. And now here it all is. And I think we were somewhere around uh, 30 to 50,000. I can't remember the exact amount now. A lot of money we owed. And we're going in, I'm going into a marriage here and having all this trouble and thinking, Lord, if there's any way out of this, you know, I did this and I'm willing to take the responsibility, but if there's any way out of this, Lord, please help me. A short while after that, somebody came to me and said, I heard that you have student loan debt and I would like to take care of it. How much do you owe? And um, I said, I, I owe uh, one student loan debt to a like Sally May or whatever it was, $10,000 I took out a loan for. They said, I'd like to pay that off. I said, wow, thank you. We go to the, the bank, we sit down, pay off the 10 grand. A little while later, this person says to me, you must feel so much better having all that paid off and that, that account closed. And I said, actually, it wasn't closed. It accrued $4,000 in interest above and beyond uh, the 10,000 that you gave me. Um, but I, I said, thank you for that. But you know, I still have to pay this 4,000 before that whole thing's clo closed. And they said, I want to do that too. So they took care of it and they closed out that whole account and paid off 14,000 that I you know, I got myself into the mess, but God cho chose to undo it. I remember a few years after that, under the weight of debt, and we were still trying, we were still trying to make good financial decisions. And I prayed something similar again. This time a person somehow came into a large sum of money where they had stakes and property or something that was sold and they didn't even realize that their name was on the property. And they came into a chunk of money and said, I'd like to pay off some uh, of your debt. And it was another 10 grand that was paid off. Um, so God 
sometimes in mercy undoes the poor choices that we made. He's, he's done that in my life more times than I can count, but he hasn't done it for everything. So here we find that with David. And the, the rest of the thing is David, after he hears about this, instead of David just meekly accepting this and God's sovereign, so here's what's happening. It says that he repented in sackcloth and ashes. He laid on the dust of the earth for seven days and didn't eat and wept and sought God to heal, heal the child. You know, why, why was this the case? Adam Clark said something very um, eye-opening. He said, who can tell? Uh, David, that was what David said, but David and indeed all others under the Mosaic dispensation were so satisfied that all God's threatenings and promises were conditional that even in the most positive assertions relative to judgments, etc., they sought for a change of purpose. So even though God said that, they didn't take it as set in stone like some of us in these days do. It's like a doc. We have such a doctrinal framework of things that we just, anytime God says something, well, it's set in stone like that. And I mean, I'm not saying where God has given absolutes. I'm talking about judgments or, or you know, things that are, are happening. We just say, well, I guess that's God's will. And we just leave it there. The threatening might be conditional, just like it was concerning Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get your house in order. He turned towards the wall, wept and prayed. And I think his life has extended 10 years. Um, and I'm just going off memory right now, but 10 years. While there is life, there's hope. And while there's hope, there's room for prayer. I believe Matthew Henry said that. The apostles, after they were beaten for preaching Christ, did they just meekly accept that, oh, we shouldn't keep doing that anymore because uh, apparently people don't like that. And maybe that's God's sign to us that we need to stop. No, they went and had a prayer meeting and they said, Lord, behold their threatenings, grant us boldness and grant that miracles will be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. They went out and the gospel spread even more. But we see, as we mentioned before, Judas' response um, to the effects of choices is he hung himself. Saul's response is he seeks after a witch to try and undo all the trouble that he had. Samuel's response was he was praying that God would help Saul and, and turn him to him. And, and Paul, or excuse me, God said, Saul is already gone. He's far gone. We leave that alone. Stop praying for him. There's somebody else I want you to anoint. So we see both sides, good and bad. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, Lord, if there's any way, can you stop this? He didn't just meekly sit by and, and say, well, I guess so. I mean, he knew why he came there, but look at, the, look at the cry that came out of his heart. Is there some way? But he did accept when he did know what God's will was. Oftentimes, I think we surrender well before we, we know God's will clearly. We just assume that when there's any bit of resistance, it must be God's will, so we must accept this all. Um, we think about Esther. She didn't accept that the Jews were all gonna be killed and say, well, it must be God's will. No, they, they prayed, they fast, they fought. Nehemiah, he was harassed by hired opposition. Did he stop building the walls of Jerusalem? No, he didn't. Hezekiah was taunted by Sennacherib and, and said, don't fight anymore. Your God's nothing. He hasn't saved you know, other people. All the other gods haven't saved and your God won't either. Instead, Hezekiah went in, laid out this letter before the Lord and prayed. And then God answered by taking care of that army. Uh, there's also an account by, about the Indonesians in the 1960s. And regardless of all the other things attached to it, I have no idea. So I'm just leaving that alone. But in Indonesia, there was a communist coup starting to happen. And there were groups of Christians that were praying regularly, seeking God that he would somehow have mercy on them and change this whole situation around. And he did. He changed it around. I think uh, you can read about that. Um, Kurt Kosh, I think is his name. Other responses. Uh, there may be other people that see the way we respond and think we're nuts like David's servants. Charles Finney told of a lady 
who almost died praying for her lost son. They were like, you need to stop. You need to eat. You're going to die. Um, there's so many other things I'd like to bring out right at this moment, uh, but I, I really just don't have the time. But I do want to bring out God's response. God changes his mind. He did with Jehoshaphat when they prayed and said, there's an army out here that's going to destroy us. Lord, will you step in for us? And he did. We magnify the troubles more than we do the character of God. And then fatalistically, we just say, this must be God's will. But I am here to encourage you, dear listener, that God has put tools in our hands, prayer, that he would actually repent and change his mind if we would seek him instead of looking at him like fatalistic sovereign. So is God fatalistically sovereign? We should not accept defeat until God makes it clear that it's his will, like it happened with this in David. David kept seeking, and then when the child died, he said, okay, it's God's will. But he didn't say that until then. God is a God that repents of the judgment that he purposes to do in answer to the prayers of his people. And like David, if we press our claims upon God, if they're in line with his word, we do not give up unless he shows otherwise. Who knows whether he will not shower blessings or have mercy upon us. So even for our country, don't give up. Keep pressing in. Who knows if God will not be merciful? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I'd like to set up a time to meet with you, to help you along in your journey. Visit our social media accounts. Listen to this broadcast. Tell your friends about it. But above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.